0: If you'll go ahead and take a copy of the Bible or phone or tablet and find the book of Genesis chapter 13 Genesis chapter 13 we're going to be looking uh, in the Abraham cycle over the next few weeks uh, in the book of Genesis and Abraham experiences something in this passage of scripture that I do not think is uncommon to you and me and so let me just ask you a question, because it's the week of New Year's, it's uh, six days past New Year's, and we make New Year's resolutions, and, and just by a show of hands, who, who made a New Year's resolution to be a better person? All right, I got a couple of people that want to be better people, all right, the rest of you, maybe next year. Um, so, so how many of you um, made resolutions to, to stress less, to get along with other people better? All right, we got some people. The rest of you, we'll try to get along with you anyway. All right. Here's the thing. We make resolutions to like get along. We teach our kids to get along, but relational conflict happens. You know why? Because it involves you. People. People, Abraham gets into a conflict with his nephew Lot and Lot's people in Genesis chapter 13 and we've got to ask ourselves a question how do we resolve the tension? How do we resolve the conflict? How do we look at Christ and move forward in peace? And we're going to find out a few things about Abraham, about Lot, and about the gospel this morning in the book of Genesis chapter 13. If you have found your place and you are able, I'd like to invite you to stand with me as we read these 18 verses together, honoring the word of God uh, in our heart, in our mind, and in our posture as we look at the words of scripture together. It says this, starting in verse one. So Abram went out from Egypt to the Negev and he and his wife and all that belonged to him and Lot was with him. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and in silver and in gold. He went on his journey from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. Between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar that he had made formerly. And there Abraham or Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. And the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling then in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. If to the right, then I will go to the left. So Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the valley of the Jordan and that it was well watered everywhere. And this was the land, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go out to Zoar. And so, the Lord, so Lot chose for himself all of the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from one another. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. And the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinners against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes And look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise and walk about the land through its length and its breadth, for I will give it to you And Abraham moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar for the Lord. Let's pray. God, we look in your word and we see a picture of a man wanting to do right, but trouble encroaches. And Lord, we can relate. For, for Lord, we want to do right, but trouble encroaches. People seem to get in our way. We ask you, Lord, that your word would teach our hearts how to reflect the gospel in all things, how that we can dwell in peace because you are the God of peace. Give us a picture of Jesus this morning. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So, so this passage of scripture, you, you've got the first three points already filled in. You don't have to worry about filling in the blank, but I do want you to kind of jot some things down as you feel led to there. But let me give you a little background, because where we left off, we've had a couple of weeks uh, since we've been in the book of Genesis together. Last week, we were uh, talking about some New Year things um, out uh, out of the book of Ezekiel and looking at why we're here. Before that, we were looking at a Christmas passage and and who this Christ is. And Pastor Darris was with you the week before that, and so if you can remember all the way back to December the 9th, we were looking in chapter 12. At the beginning of chapter 12, we had the whispers of the promise of God where he says, the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house to a land I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. We have this promise of God that he is going to give this place to Abram, that he is going to make something magnificent out of Abram, out of his life. And it left us with this understanding that if God can make something magnificent out of Abram what could he do with me if, if God could use this guy that that herds sheep that lives in tents what could he do with me today and the promise that God made to Abram was the promise of Christ the promise of redemption and that redemption that we take as followers of Christ is what God uses to make our lives have the greatest meaning possible but Abram leaves there And in chapter 12, he sojourns in Egypt for a little while. And and things really aren't pretty in Egypt. Here's the deal. If you start looking through the Old Testament at the people that God used, it should give you hope. Because they were messed up. Anybody in here messed up? Yeah, the same people that made New Year's resolutions. The rest of you, good grief, man. I I hope I'm perfect as you are one day. But we're all messed up. We all have baggage. We all have issues. We all have personality quirks. We all have things about ourselves that we don't like. And so sometimes we become guilty of looking at these Old Testament figures and these people in the Bible and think, if I could just be perfect like they were, if I could just be holy like they were, if I could just trust, if I could just do, I could just do. And see the thing is, is we're setting the bar to another person, to another man, instead of setting the bar to Christ. Because Abram, he takes his family into Egypt and he looks at his wife and says, look, I know I married a hottie and these people are going to say that I married a hottie, but they're going to kill me so that they can have you. So why don't you just tell them that we're brother and sister? My wife is the most beautiful woman in the world. And if I'm going to another country, I'm not going to say she's my sister because I want them to know this is mine. Somehow, someway, she is mine. Abram says, Tell him. him." He brings his wife into this deception, into this lie. And right when Pharaoh is about to take his wife, he has stopped, it says there in the, in the book of Genesis chapter 12, he has stopped by an angel of the Lord who says, no, 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 you don't want to touch her because that is another man's wife. See, see, Pharaoh, in exchange for Sarah, thinking Sarah was Abram's sister, gave him lots of wealth, gave him lots of flocks and lots of herds and lots of things. And Abram's like, sure. And God still uses him. I don't know what your mess up was in 2018. I don't know what it's in 17, 16, 15. If you go all the way back to the 90s, the 80s, the 70s, the 60s, the 50s, the 40s, the 30s, the 20s. I don't know what your mess up was. Abraham was messed up and God still wanted to use him. So he said, look, Abram, you've got to get up out of Egypt and go back. And it starts there in verse, in verse 13 that Abram went from Egypt back to the Negev, him and his wife and his nephew Lot with him. So what we're going to look at here is kind of like the the, the scenes that are taking place. We're going to develop this narrative for just a few minutes together, looking at the shifts and the scenes. We've got to see it as, as the narrative unfolds because we can easily look at a chapter like chapter 13 and read it in about 3 minutes and think okay well that was a really quick thing that happened but this happens over the span of several weeks it wasn't just a boom there it is we've got to see it develop so what happens here in our first scene is we see the return home they're going back to their native land it says that they went back to the Negev he and his wife and all that belonged to him and Lot was with him but Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and gold, and he went on his journey from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been in the beginning. He goes back to this place. He goes back to what was familiar, and what does he do? It says there in verse 4, to the place of the altar that he had made formerly, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Abram's journey starts with worship. His journey starts with this connection back to the God who had called him, the God who had made a promise to him. In spite of his missteps, in spite of his deeds, there's there's no... There's no indication here that there was an outright repentance for the lie he told to Pharaoh and the mess he almost made in his family. But what we do have is worship and in worship, we get repentance. And when we worship God truly, we lay all of our unrighteousness aside and come back to the place where we are connected with God because of what he has done for us. Abraham starts by going home. Abram starts by going back to the place where he was with God. And it says that there he caught on the name of the Lord. Man, wouldn't it be great if that's where it ended? Abram is back at the place where he is at peace with God. But unfortunately, there's verse 5. Abram it says now Lot who went with Abram also had flocks and herds and tents and the land could not sustain them while dwelling together there are some tensions that begin to rise now some of you went home and saw some family over Christmas and New Year's and holiday Thanksgiving holiday break you ever have some tension rise when you're around your family You go go back to your parents' house and you go back and you get together with cousins and uncles and aunts and everybody and sometimes just being in that house with them for more than about 15 minutes, you start feeling the tensions rise, right? That's what happens to Abram. These tensions are rising. It says that they were there in the land and it says that the land could not sustain them while dwelling together. Whoo, think about that for just a moment. These two men were so blessed and so wealthy that they couldn't, they couldn't hang out together anymore. There wasn't enough room, there wasn't enough peace for all of their stuff. Wait a second. I thought having more would mean more peace. I, I thought that having more meant that everybody get along with you, and all your problems went away if you just had more money and more possessions and more things and more. I thought the more you had, the more happiness you had. Clearly from the text here, we have this rising tension. It says there that the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abram were were fussing and fighting with one another. And were saying, look, there's not enough space for all of us to to have our herds together here. We've got to do something different. But notice with me, if you will, right there at the end of verse 7, it says that the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling then in the land. Well, they're not part of the conflict. They're not part of the tension. These tensions are rising because we have this self-centeredness that is coming out about wanting the best for me, the best for us, and not for someone else. And so Abram decides he's going to try to handle it the right way. Notice what he says. Abram said to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between you and between me. He's speaking with his nephew. Now, I know it's easy to picture there being like a 20 or 30 year age gap between Abram and Lot. I'm prone to think that Abram might have actually been a little younger than Lot. Abram was the youngest of several children. Abram had older brothers and sisters, so it is very likely that in the span of Terah's 300 years that he was producing children that he had a son who was lot's father that made lot the same age if not older than abram my father-in-law grew up with his nephews that were just a couple of years young about four or five years younger than him he grew up with them as cousins uh uh, danny and sherry that were here with us our our, our missionaries in the middle east that were here with us a few weeks ago that's christy's first cousin but he's like 18 19 years older than Christie. so it was more like uncle Danny instead of cousin Danny. See, you've got this separation in family. So we're looking at Abram and Lot, not so much as, well, little nephew, you're kind of getting along in the world. I need you to go on about your way. But as two men of equal standing, of equal stature, of equal wealth that had to come to some sort of agreement. And this tension was building up all over stuff, over stuff. It was clear that there was enough land for their herds to gather because the Canaanites and the Perizzites, they were there. They weren't fussing about whose who's cow's eating what grass and whose lamb is eating what hay. No, it's between the herdsman of Lot and the herdsman of Abram. And Abram says, look, we, we, we've got to do something about this. So, Lot, I'm going to give you the choice. I'm, I'm going to give you the first choice because we, we've got we've to separate. Sometimes the best way to deal with strife and tension is to get away. Not to flee without dealing with it, but just to kind of have a moment to get away and reset. A moment to, to just kind of step back. Oh man, how many times do you get in an argument with somebody and you try to step back, the first thing they do is they call you and just load right back into you, right? Because we carry these around with us so we can be reached anywhere, right? So it, husband and wife have a little disagreement. Husband says, you know what, I need to, I need to drive around a little bit, just clear my mind. He's backed out of the driveway and the phone's already ringing, isn't it? And one more thing. Or she says, hey, I've got to step away. I'm, I'm just going to go. I'm going to clear my mind and go for a jog. And he's blowing up text messages. And you didn't do this. See, sometimes we just kind of got to separate ourselves from it because we've got to allow emotions to die back. And so Abram says, look, this is too important to me. We are brothers. We have a common interest, this family. So here's what we need to do. We need to separate. So if you look over here and you decide you want to go to the left, and I'm going to take my herds to the right. If you decide you're going to take your herds to the right, I'm going to take mine to the left so that we can have peace. Sometimes dwelling in peace comes with a little bit of sacrifice of space. And these tensions are rising and Lot looks... He looks over here and sees this land that looks a little bit barren, looks a little bit suspect for his flocks and his herds. And then he looks over here and sees the Jordan Valley and he sees, man, it's got a river running through it. The fields are plush. There is plenty of room for me to go, I'm going to take this land. And so they separate. Abram probably had every right because he was the one given the promise of God to take his selection of the land first and say, you know what, Lot, we're going to camp out here. Why don't you just take your flocks that way? He had every right to do that. But instead of seeking his own, he pressed for someone else to make that choice. And then we have the beautiful verses of 14 through 18 where God reaffirms his promise. Notice what he says. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward, for all the land which you see, I will give to you and your descendants forever. That sounds beautiful. But Abram's a man. Abram's human. He's a person just like you and me. And he's got, he's got a family family. He's got his wife, Sarah, he's got servants, he's got flocks, he's got herds, and he's looking over the land of Canaan. Now, now let me just kind of paint a picture of the land of Canaan for you. Um, It basically looks like every Sunday school picture of Israel you've ever seen. Rocks, dirt, and a couple of scraggly trees. Think about that. God, I hear you talking to me, but I'm looking at where you put me. I'm looking at where I ended up. I tried to do the right thing, but I let the good land pass. But here's all I have is a promise from you that on this land, you're going to sustain me and my family forever. And God goes one step further. Look at what he goes on to say there in verse 15. He says, all the land you see I'll give to you, verse 16. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if anyone could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Okay, God, it's not just about me and Sarah and the few people around us and all of our herds. You're talking descendants. You're talking generations. You're pressing this years in advance. And I'm looking at rocks. Rocks. Here, I know know me. I'm not happy right now. See, I I grew up with cows. Some of you grew up with cows. You know cows will eat grass into the dirt. And once they eat it to to, to the head of the root, it doesn't grow back unless you replant it. And if it's dry and it's arid and it's dirty and you've got cows and sheep and everything else and you're looking around, I'm not happy right now if I'm Abram because I just watched the best go somewhere else. But Abram, notice with me, does something beautiful. Abram moved his tent, verse 18, came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Because we find peace, we find joy, we find happiness at the foot of the God who provides And Abram knew that whatever God promised was better than what he could have taken for himself. So how do we connect this? What do we do with all this? Let's look at a few things together. I got five connection statements for us to to kind of bring it to our heart, to put ourselves, if we will, into this narrative and see how this tension, how this strife and this promise of God really comes back to us. And the first thing that you and I get to rejoice in is that our God is a God who blesses. Our God is a God who blesses. Notice with me what's going on in Abram's life. In spite of his missteps, God had still blessed him. God had still kept his hand on him. And God had still delivered this promise to him. Verse 17, it says that, God tells him to walk around the land through its length and its breadth and I will give it to you. There's a a divine nuance to this word, this this phrase, I will give it to you. We see it time and time again in the book of Joshua. Joshua. If you're not familiar with the book of Joshua, let me fast forward a few years for you. God is going to promise Abram in chapter 15 that all this land is going to be his again and then he says, but your family is going to sojourn in a land that's not their own for 400 years, but I will deliver you out of them. So for 400 years, the people of Israel were in the land of Egypt. They became slaves in Egypt because the Egyptians were afraid that the Israelites, the people of Israel would rule the land and overthrow them. So they were forced into labor and they were building the pyramids and they were they were doing all this work until they cried out for a deliverer and God raised up Moses and Moses came and got them and by the hand of God they were led out of Egypt they were led into this land that was supposed to be theirs but they hardened their hearts against God sometimes when we're walking with God is when we are most susceptible and prone to harden our hearts against God because we want to take it for ourselves and look back and forget the blessing of God but what happens is God says you've hardened your heart so I'm let this generation die out here and everybody under the age of 20 is going to be able to go into the new land. And that included Moses because of his action against the, against the, the statement of God taking his, his hand when God had not said to take your hand. And so what happens now is Joshua is the leader of Israel and God says to him, walk into this land for I will give it to you. I am giving it to you. It is the understood promise that even though it's used in the future it's already happened because God is a God who blesses his promises that seem to be far off are as good as already in our possession because he blesses us he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing he has blessed us with everything we need for life for sustenance for for living out who we call ourselves to be and then some But I want you to notice that in this case, the blessing of God created a little strife. The blessing of God was what led to this feud between the people of Abram and the people of Lot and all of their stuff. We could put our hope in stuff and miss the God who has blessed. But what Abram demonstrates for us is that blessing is our license to freedom, Blessing and understanding the blessing of God is what gives us the ability to truly be free from all that will bind and all that will be a binding on us. Notice what happens here. Verse seven says, there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling with them in the land. And Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I'll go to the right. To the right, then I will go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered and everywhere. And this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as far as Zoar. So Lot chose for himself the, all of the valley of the Jordan. See, Abram had the freedom to decide what to do with this turmoil. Because he understood the blessing of God was not just the physical right there in front of him. He understood that he had something greater than just herds and tents. He understood that he had something better, something that was bigger. And that gave him the freedom to live in what God had called him to do. And who God had called him to be. This is what keeps us connected to Abram. You and I, if you have called upon the name of Christ for salvation, if you have trusted him to save you from sin, you have the blessing of the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And that blessing, that freedom, that gives you freedom to live in peace with others. I want you to notice with me what happens to Abram and Lot. It never says in this passage of scripture that they said, you know, I'm sorry about the incident. They never, their herdsmen never got together and, you know, bro hugged it out and got out of there or anything. There, there wasn't any of this, this amicable peace, but the forgiveness was extended before the actions took place. Because Abram had been worshiping with God. Abram saw the blessing that God had already given him and he knew that was enough. He says to Lot, he says, We are brothers. God's blessing is our license to freedom. God's blessing is our license to freedom. See, we we live in a society that wants to shackle us with strife. It's like, what do you mean by that? We know our relationships are messed up because we're in them. Each one of us is messed up, so when you go into a relationship, it's going to be messed up. So, so if, if, if you're single and waiting for Mr. or Mrs. Wright to show up, guess what? They won't. Um, but there will be someone wonderful that does show up that's going to be broken and flawed just like you're broken and flawed. And your happily ever after will be what you determine to do about the strife and the turmoil that you bring into the relationship as well as what they bring into the relationship. Because when you put two broken people into a relationship, you don't get perfection. You get extra brokenness. It's just what you get. But it's what you do with it. And, and you can look at blessing in this way. If God has blessed you with the ability to have someone in your life that loves you for who you are, then that is your freedom to be expressive of all that God has made you to be and to live in the freedom of that relationship and the joy of that relationship. If you've had that and you've lost it, you know how precious it is. When you have kids, I man, you got the picture perfect thing. I, I love seeing these social media posts. That's like, you know, this is what you see on social media, but this is really what's going on. You can, you can flip through, uh, through the, the pictures on my phone And you'll see, like, the one good picture of, like, all of us together, everybody's looking and smiling. And then you'll see, like, nine others of Addison doing this, and Braden looking down, and Caleb screaming, and both of us looking, stop that, you know, because you you get picture perfect, but there's brokenness that proceeds. But having the blessing of, Family gives us the freedom to live in family. Having the blessing of a place to worship together gives us the freedom to be expressive of what we believe about God and why we believe this about God and what God is doing in our church, in our lives, in our society. And over the last few weeks as I've sat down with staff, believe me, it is a blessing to have church staff. It is a blessing to have men and women around me that help complete uh, what I lack because I am not a detail-oriented person. And that gets me in more trouble than I want to admit, but I'm not a detail-oriented person. Just a few weeks ago, um, we, we, were, we hosted the staff at our house for, for dinner. They were coming to our house and uh, like three or four days earlier before they got there, Christy asked me what time are they coming? I was like, oh, I don't know, 6, 6.30, I don't know. It's a detail. That's a big deal, right? They're coming into your house. You need to know what time to expect them. But as I've sat down with, 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 with Lewis and Daris and Charlie and gonna be sitting down with, uh, with Jenny and Joy and Judy and Jacob here in the next few weeks, we're kind of setting goals and setting parameters because it is a blessing to have staff that gives us the freedom to all use our giftings and our abilities according to what God has called us to do so that we can push forward the best. That is a freedom. Trust me, you don't want me playing piano. You don't want me changing diapers. You don't want me doing certain things in the church because it doesn't get done well when you spread it so far. Blessing is a license to freedom. But then he goes on and we see that this strife happens, right? Now I want you to look at the nature of the strife. Two wealthy men with more stuff than they want to do with, and they look, look, it's not Abram and Lot that are in the center of the controversy. It's their herdsmen. It, it's it's the, the flock gatherers for Abram and the flock gatherers for Lot that are, that are struggling with one another. And Abram and Lot come together to try to figure out what's going to happen. And I believe a little more strife develops, as I've already already confessed. If I'm Abram, I'm not happy with the way the land choice went out. Because strife is the result of serving the self. Strife is the result of serving the self. Over in the book of James, chapter 4, it says this. Why do you have quarrels? Why do you have struggles among yourself? Is it not the source of your pleasures and desires that wage war in your members? You lust and don't have, so you commit murder. You're envious and can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. The the Bible points to this self-serving desire that creates the source of strife. now I know you can look at your relationships like yeah if they weren't so selfish I'd get along with them better right husbands and wives y'all know that if she wasn't so focused on herself this would be a much more peaceful marriage. if she would if he would just agree with me on everything we wouldn't have problems right it's okay this is a safe place you can say right it'd be easier right because we all have a desire to protect ourselves, to put our own interests forward, because we all have this, this craving within us, as, as, as James calls it, this lust and this desire within us to, to fulfill ourselves. When someone gets in the way of it, it creates strife. Lot says, I want the biggest, fattest herds. I want the best price for my my lamb chops and for my my pork chops. and Well, they didn't eat pork in those days. Uh, and, And my beef tips when I take them to market. So I want the best land. Me, me, me. Or, you know what? I want a peaceful, restful time. The phone keeps ringing. The kids keep calling. This happens, this happens. There's a desire to serve the self. And that always brings in strife. Always. Even when there are those of us in the room that are really good about making it look like when we serve others, it's for others, but really sometimes don't we serve others out of a desire to serve ourselves? We're doing this, I'm doing this for you now, so I can. Cash in on that a little bit later, probably one of the most detrimental analogies i 've ever heard in the marriage relationship comes out of a it comes out of a book called his needs her needs and, and there are a lot of good principles in there and there are a lot of good things to look at, but the main argument is. Men, you just need to make sure that you keep making deposits into your wife's love bank so that when you want to make a withdrawal from that bank, there's something to withdraw. Women, you need to make sure you're putting enough cash, enough deposits in your husband's love bank so that one day when you want to take out of that love bank, there's something there to take out of. That is a self-serving desire because what ends up happening is you invest so much in this so you hope you get it back later that when it's not there, there's frustration, there's bitterness, there's angst because strife is the result of Serving self. Period. The fourth thing comes down to your choice. It comes down to your choice because we find in this cycle of Abraham that we have a choice between walking by faith or walking by sight. We can either walk based on what we can see, what makes sense, what adds up in our mind, or we can walk by what God has promised. That is a walk of faith. Look what happens here. Abram says to him, look, you can go to the east or you can go to the west. You can go to the left and I'll go right. You can go to the right and I'll go left. And so Lot looks up and he sees the valley of Jordan and sees that it is well watered. It is lush. It is beautiful. It is the place where you definitely want to settle your herds. That's sight. That's going on sight. But Abram walks away with the land of Canaan and nothing but faith that God would provide what God provided. God says to him, all the land you see I will give to you and your descendants Forever. You know how much faith it takes for Abram to then, in verse 18, go and pitch his tent by the oak in Mamre and build an altar and worship God there? That is walking into the dry, dusty, arid and saying, any bitterness that could have come from this, I'm leaving it behind because what I have is from God. I have his promise. I have his assurance. I have his word that this is what I need. Now, I don't know where your kids are. I don't, I don't know where your marriage is. I don't know what your work situation is. I don't, I, I, I'm not sure. But here's what I do know. You can either seek to be in control of your circumstance and run it all yourself in your way, thus serving yourself and introducing strife, or you can say, I'm going to walk by faith in God. And if it doesn't make sense, I'm, I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to do it. Because even if it doesn't make sense, I know that God is a God who blesses. I'll even take it one step further. And I'll put it to you this way, because I love you. If it's something that you can control, if it's something that you can manipulate, if it's something that rests only on your power, God didn't lead you to it. Because God is not is not a God who is interested in making you self-sufficient to do it on your own. He is a God who is interested in demonstrating his power and his glory. And therefore, you're going to have your back against the wall. And the only thing that makes sense is to step out on faith in God. And there you will find the walk of the righteous. And we get all to all this with Jesus. Jesus Christ is your basis of peace. Jesus Christ is my basis of peace. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 calls him the prince of peace. Peace. Jesus Himself in John chapter 14 says, Hey, don't let your heart be troubled, for my peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Jesus Christ, when it didn't make sense, stepped into the world to say, I'm going to take on the sin of all humanity. And you think, how in the world, how in the world could one man die? Because he wasn't just one man, he was the Son of God. He was God who took on our flesh and said, You know what? I'm going to give myself over that you can know the peace I have offered. See, that is a step of faith. Abram had faith in the promise of God. And we have faith in the promise of God in Christ Jesus, that he is enough. Have you trusted Christ? H- have you laid strife and turmoil and 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 the 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 ridiculousness of this world aside and taken Christ at his word as I shared with our college students this morning in Sunday school John chapter 6 uh me about chapter 5 verse 40 says this it says You search the scriptures to know, but you have not come to me that you would be saved. Oh, you can read this book cover to cover to cover to cover, trying to find some answer, but unless you come to Christ Jesus, you've missed the answer. Jesus Christ, the sinless sinless Savior, crucified for you and for me, so that you can enjoy the blessing of God and live in peace, even with that guy.